Talking to Robo P. Tabasco sauce, your mayonnaise, your tins of beans, That's your all medicinal, that. it's medicinal. Well, it goes on and on, you've got all sorts, you, that weird stag chilli you scoff. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you why have you got so much condensed cream? There's about 20 condensed I cream in here. these things? Evaporated milk, all your fruit, what's all this, chopped fruit and peaches and all this sort of stuff. I don't even get to eat any of these. This is special, I need this to do my casting. Oh. Anyway, I've got your stuff over here anyway, look, let's look in this box. There you go. Wait, oh, that's like your monster bunch and three bulbs. And yeah. we need them bulbs upstairs, they're not even yeah, mine. Yeah, but the monster bunch keeps the light bulbs safe. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like cushioning in the box. It is. Oh, so but another row of bulbs delivered safely. Mate, I'm saving the planet with this monster bunch, saving our bulbs. <laughs> it's, it's eco packing, you can munch it afterwards. <laughs> You're lucky, I love you, man. You really are. Jesus, wet. You're carrying that. I'm never carrying that again. You're, you what? do your own wine, sonny. Right, well, I'll tell you what, here's the deal then, right? It, I'll put all stuff. Away. I'll promise I'll put all stuff away, oh, but let's have yeah. a little rest now. Let's get ourselves sat at the oh, table. Oh, can't be kitchen table. Ah, oh, no, you can't be. Because you know something? You'll be, have you? Have I've you been, been casting? I've been casting, <laughs> oh, But before lad. we go any further, let's introduce ourselves, right? Because here we are at Crack and Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. And we're the two lighthouse keepers here at the moment, you see. So, I think we'll be here for the long term, don't you? Oh, forevers. Yeah, Ever I ski? think so, forevers. I think it's pretty good, so we're liking it. I can't see anybody else taking over. No, I won't let them, to be honest. Yeah, we'll have to pry the key out of our cold, dead hands. <laughs> yeah, Charlton <laughs> style it. <laughs> so, what we're going to be doing, you see, what I like to do, I shine my light out across and pick out the weird and wonderful stories for our Benny here. It's just for a bit of entertainment and a bit of fun. Oh, we need It's more than entertainment. It's a, it's a job, job description. It's vital, it's absolutely vital in this day and age, that's, that's what I reckon. So you get yourself that cup of tea? Yeah, I'm sound, mate. Tea's oh, done, tea's in. I'm right. going to see. What have you got? Let's see what I've got. Well, let's have a pee. So first of all, what I've got, I've got a story from the Daily Mirror by Lucy Antonio and Lorraine King. Right. Wow, yeah. And this is the headline. Vegan mum claims she can boost her immune system by drinking bizarre sperm smoothies. Oh dear. Let's oh, just talk. Dear. If it's a husband's, it's grimming up. But let, where's oh. she getting this? Who's the donor? Oh, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the whole street. Oh, the whole street. Yeah. She's the milkmaid. Uh, everyone and the mother. Just, no, it's not. Let's have a little look. Let's, let's, have a look. let's have a delve into this, right? So, a personal trainer claims she's fighting off coronavirus by drinking smoothies containing her boyfriend's sperm. Tracy Kiss, <laughs> 32, reckons that the refreshing drinks that contain a shot of semen have boosted her immune system. Oh, wow. Oh, it makes me feel a bit gippy. How do you, like, come across it? How do you stumble across that? You know, just in the kitchen, like, oh, I'm sorry, love. <laughs> I, I, think he, I think he's told her. Yeah. <laughs> it's good for you. Get it down. Yeah. <laughs> we just get it in blender. <laughs> <laughs> There is no medical evidence that consuming sperm can prevent illness, the story continues, especially coronavirus. 
but, but, but Tracy believes it has helped her. In a bold move, she is urging others to do the same. What a boyfriend, you know what I mean? I bet he's well happy about this. Go on, he's, he's doing your, your, your complexion. You haven't got COVID, have you? Yeah, no, this, this, uh, this is my mate Sandy. Will you just in her mouth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right then. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I mean, he's like a one-man bloody cure, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, just special Steve. And, he can... and he's, he's got unlimited supply. He's really tired all the time. This, this little wizened guy coming from house to house. Jism's here. <laughs> the ultimate milkman. Yeah. <laughs> Delivery. <laughs> it's a bit warm. <laughs> Pat Mustard. <laughs> so the mum of two, who is a vegan, insists she started drinking the concoction three years ago. And since then she hasn't had cold or flu. Right. Um, while sperm is not plant-based, she says consuming it is no different from breastfeeding. So he's <laughs> <laughs> so still compatible with a vegan diet. I, I I disagree. I disagree. The little sailors in there, you know what yeah. I mean? Little seamen. The little wrigglers. Mean? <laughs> That's definitely alive things is that. It definitely is. It's, it's it? not dairy, is it? No. Uh, it's just like, what the fuck? What's this oh. class stats? Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> So she's now sharing her home remedy, oh, claiming it could help others boost their immune system and fight off COVID-19. Now, we will just have a quick look at the picture there, won't we, of this, uh, this <laughs> yeah. Tracy Kiss. Now, how much of that smoothie? Oh. And that doesn't look like milk. Uh, that is not pure. It's what's all she... yellow. What's he eating? Yeah, what about this? It looks like flipping dog shit to me. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> God, that's mucky. Yeah, what's the yellow stuff? Oh Christ Almighty! Maybe she, maybe he doesn't want Oak to do this, and she's forcing it out of him, and he does it that much. It's turned that bright yellow colour. Well, and one thing as well, in in both photographs, uh, dear dear listener, um, there's uh, very uh, very learned shots of this woman's knockers, which are obviously um, <laughs> so, so like, like the sales pitch. You know? In half, you know. <laughs> so I don't know what she's actually trying to sell, whether it is um, health food or. Herself, oh, I'm God. really not too sure. It's all very weird because I would even once again, strange behavior. <laughs> Keep it to yourself, <laughs> don't be popping out on front page yeah. at post. Yeah, yeah, especially when it's serious times like this. Like, she's putting it out of boyfriend's bunk. It's got COVID. He's like, steady, lass, steady. just keep it in your own home. Yeah, <laughs> she goes on to say, it isn't for everyone, but he's packed full of vitamins. I haven't had a cold or flu ever since drinking it in 2017. Here we go. I also put it on my face to clear up my skin. Oh, man, how much is this lad got? Jesus. Well, it's best to consume semen as close to production as possible <laughs> to get the most nutrients and benefits. <laughs> but I often store it in the freezer in an ice cube tray as my partner, who does not wish to be named, <laughs> and I are in a long-distance relationship. Whoa. So, how far can he fire this <laughs> shit? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite an impressive... Yeah. And she says... The quantity depends on how hydrated my boyfriend is on the day. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm lost, mate. I'm lo- Why is it so yellow? How is he piping it to her? How is he piping it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just not right. Why do you just do it the old-fashioned way and just keep quiet about it? You know I mean? Well, that's what I mean. Just, you know. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, she says it's a taboo subject. It's one of these that doesn't sort of feel particularly nice. I remember a Ricky Gervais um, comedy sketch he did where he said that <laughs> a woman came out of his house, knocked on his door when they moved into a new place. And she says, oh, for a moving in present, I, I believe in like bring a bit of food around. You know, that's nice. And she'd said it, 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 she brought around a rice pudding. Oh, I said, oh great, I love a rice pudding. And she says, Yeah, I've I had a bit of a bit of breast milk left over from, from feeding the young <laughs> and I've made you this lovely rice pudding. Mm. Yeah. And as he sort of like puts it, he says, Well, is there any difference between doing that and making her a spunk sandwich in return? <laughs> <laughs> and I think Enjoy. not <laughs> special seafood sauce. <laughs> We're 
talking about that guy's loaded gun, aren't we? He's <laughs> <laughs> a bit dangerous. But there's another thing you can be doing with dicks, yeah. which is equally dangerous. <laughs> and here's a question we've got, right, um, from a number of sources, actually. So I've just got this one a story by Matthew Galt. Uh, and this is, here's why men are pointing loaded guns at their dicks. What? As if things can get any more stupid. <laughs> so this year is ridiculous. Yeah. So I mean, you pointed a gun at your dick, your dick as well. Your own, your gun pointing at your own dick. Pointing your own dick. Yeah. So let's have a quick look at that then. I don't don't want to look at it. Uh, right. So he's still in his trousers. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just kind of pointing. Yeah. He's not actually getting his dick out. But look at cat. Cat's like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing, lad? <laughs> Cat's kitchen floor. Cat's just like, what? Like, what the fuck are you up to, mate? You idiot. Oh. It's a loaded gun. You don't point that oh at your penis. God, just imagine the mess. I know the bullets could have got just an explosion of well, genitals. Everywhere. It's just that initial thing. One thing goes wrong. It's just like, bang. Oh. And then go, oh, what have I done? What exactly. a mistake. I've sneezed. Or a fly's got in my eye. A wasp thing. Bang. So let's have a little look at this. There can't be any reason. I'll just, I will not change my mind on this. Well, no I don't think you need to. This. I think yeah. it's obviously it's an idiot move. There's no, there's no sense in it. So what it is, is gun people are taking pictures of themselves aiming weapons at their dicks. The safety is off. Their finger hovers on the trigger. And the barrel of the weapon is pointed straight at their genitals. Uh. Filmmaker Dylan Park says... Now these mag adults are pointing guns at their dicks. Well, with <laughs> mag adults. Mag well, mag make America great again. Oh, yeah. Shit. Right, so the, now these mag adults are pointing guns at their dicks with the safeties <laughs> off and their fingers on the triggers to own the libs. Wait, I'm getting it now. So make America great again. You call. Yeah. Them. So they're just going to shoot off their own cock and balls, and and that's I understand that's why they're doing. It. They're just going to get rid. They can't reproduce. Can they? they can't have kids. <laughs> just on them. Yeah, no, I get it now. I'll, I'll turn around. Sadly, I don't think that's the case. Oh. So, but pointing a gun at your penis has nothing to do with owning the libs or the liberals, right? And everything to do with ironically mocking basic safety in gun culture. The trend is about a year old, and it was born in the fires of Facebook's gun groups. On one side are responsible gun owners. On the other side is a group of men aiming a deadly weapon at their dicks to prove a point that they can only vaguely explain. <laughs> so, gun enthusiasts love taking pictures of the guns. It's common practice. America has a gun culture as robust, diverse, and complicated as comic book fans, fantasy nerds, PC gamers, or any other subculture. But like those communities, gun nerds have their own mimetic language and fight among themselves. Unlike pop culture enthusiasts, the hobby of a gun nerd is based on a tool designed to kill. It's distressing, then, to the responsible gun owner when fringe elements in their community post pictures online of them pointing guns at their dicks. <laughs> just, so Brandon Curtis, owner of Conceal Nation, a gun blog, right, says, Those gun owners, they don't represent us. We are responsible, Carrie. <laughs> and he said this on the site, he says, Just as with any other types of trolls, do not feed them. I have seen a rash of these posts in the Concealed Nation Extra Group, and all involved received a permanent ban. It comes down to safety, and those actions break many rules. <laughs> but it still raises the question, why are people pointing guns at their dicks and taking a picture of it? It has nothing to do with owning the libs. It is essentially shitposting and internal fighting within the gun ownership community. Now let's face it, you're like, I, I, what a fucking other world this is. I can only describe Ben's face at the moment, right? <laughs> and it's a mixture. It's a mixture of disbelief and despair. Unfortunately, <laughs> I uh, fucking believe it. And it says, like with any other fandom, there's levels to gun culture. In the online gun community, there are normies, right, right which are the safety normal, guys, type of yeah. Dude, yeah, yeah, and fuds, fuds, right. So normies cover a range of people. Anyone from a basic handgun owner to the completely uninitiated. FUDs 
As in Bugs Bunny Hunter, Elmer Fudd. That's all right, Exactly. Okay, I'm doing the impression. <laughs> These are the old heads, the weirdos, and dedicated gun nuts. Some Fuds hate normies and the way normies talk about guns. Even the normies who know their way around a firearm. It's fucking sickening. <laughs> so a chief complaint among Fuds is the normies' devotion to safety, typically manifested as a knee-jerk praise of trigger discipline. So, for the uninitiated, watching trigger discipline refers to the act of keeping your finger off the trigger of a firearm until you're ready to fire the weapon. It's a safety basic, along with never pointing a gun at anyone or anything you don't intend to harm, and always assuming a gun is loaded. So trigger and muzzle discipline will tell you a lot about a person holding a firearm. Typically, if they keep the muzzle away from the camera and their finger off the trigger, even while holding the grip, they know their way around a weapon. So inevitably, when some idiot posts a picture of themselves with a firearm, another idiot will jump into the comments to praise or chide the idiot for their trigger discipline. Oh, fuck me. So, the fuds hate this. <laughs> fuds. The fuds. The fuds. Elmer yeah. fuds. And that's what their gang's called, the fuds. The fuds, right. <laughs> and they refer to, like, normos, the people who are sort of like, you oh, know. Oh, God, how weird is this culture, my man? Yeah. It's just it's just so weird, right? And it's, so there's a Facebook group called Gun People Who Hate Gun People. Right? <laughs> and it's for gun enthusiasts to vent about idiot gun owners. The comments on this post from the moderator are filled with pictures of people pointing guns at their dicks. <sighs> this might be the most irrit- irritating yeah. story you've done. <laughs> this, this is, is a beyond thing. belief. But I think it gives a massive insight into... How far away from us some people are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I can't see the thing of owning a gun anyway, you know what I mean? It's like, I'd feel weird about owning a gun because there's something shining a bit alluring about, like, a, a, a handgun or something. It is, isn't it? We're it's such a cock extension, it's untrue. Yeah. Like, under a bunk, I've got a, a rounder's bat, you know, and yeah. I just think that is for safety, that is emergency only. Just in case the dolphins get out of Exactly, <laughs> I got beaten back with summer. So only two times I've ever fired a, a firearm in my life. One were at Christmas time, and went for clay pigeon shooting. It oh, was, yeah. I'd love to say I was dressed in tweed and all the rest of it, but it felt like that. Where were you? Mean? Well, it was with the it was old man, uh, yeah. and it were with his mate, and his mate had like gun license and all the rest of it. And went near, uh, near York. Oh, um, very nice, yeah. Uh, and it was proper outdoors, and it was lovely, you know. I did all right. And it, you yeah. know, I wouldn't have been killing any other animals, but it, it felt traditional. Yeah, you know what I mean? Really traditional. Nice, yeah, yeah. Uh, and other ones were uh, 45 automatic in Thailand, you know, with 30th <laughs> birthday. I thought, well, it was just that kind of bit like, there weren't much around, they could go fishing, I could have done this. Yeah. We passed it, I'm like, oh, let's fire a gun. That's just like, we're yeah. passing it anyway. Let's fire a gun, it's something crazy. Uh, and I went in and the bot was super, I mean, it was weird how safe this dude yeah. was. You know, he had it, and he was literally, I had to get my hands in a position before he even got the gun there. Yeah. And he like, he like and he, I mean, this man was like Kung Fu Joe, you know, one yeah. move, like, like an elbow would be around my jaw, you know what I mean? And I you aimed it at the thing and I, I fired it and the explosion was unbelievable. I mean, afterwards, you know, I was just covered in gunpowder, you know. Really? Covered in it, absolutely covered. The noise oh, of it wow. and the kick were enormous. Uh, and the whole... And it was kind of... You know that bit like one minute we were driving past, the next minute we were just fighting, you know, the explosion, yeah. the bang, the gunpowder. It was like, whoa! And I can see the kick of it, but that was just a novel buzz for me, you know what I mean? Yeah, just like, yeah. so I've never done, done it. It's kind of over now, I don't want to do it again, you know what I mean? I think it's people hooked on that, are hooked on some sort of... It's a power trip thing. It's, it's a, a power trip. Yeah. It's yeah. some weird, weird... Yeah. Cock, you know, like, you're, you're king with that in your hand, you're your own war or I think, I think as well, somebody like yourself, I mean, you know, like, uh, Benny, Benny's been handy with his fists in the past. <laughs> fisty cuffs, I'm fisty okay cuffs. with yeah. the old fisty cuffs. Well, this is it, any of these guys who reckon they're, like, well-tasty with guns and things, yeah. if you're cases Saying like, put your gun down, mate. It yeah, won't be yeah, hard. Exactly. Right, come on, let's go to it properly. You know, what I mean? you know what's roll it, you up know? the old sleeves and get so on the grass. You know, we'll have a bit of a roll around. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> let's see who's king of the hill now, my friend. <laughs> but 
that that is exactly it. And it's someone who's very scared in their life and suddenly get this yeah. weird equaliser or this advantage on everybody else because of this. And those ones that collect all, you know, they've got an arsenal in their yeah, houses. Yeah, exactly, so yeah. You know there's something wrong with that. I you think just, it's, it's a case of not, not willing to turn around and assess yourself and wonder what you're doing and see if it's a good idea or not. Yeah, yeah. And why, if you're doing these things as well, like buying, like I said, tens and tens of thousands of pounds worth of guns, you have to have a quick word and say, why am I doing this yeah. and what am I afraid of? Yeah, exactly. What yeah. are they afraid of? And they're always like, the government they might take over, it's right, our right to bear Excuses. arms. Excuses. It is, it's Bit. Well, if the government are kicking off, go guerrilla action. Go get you, yeah. you know. You don't have to have your arsenal. You can do it a different way, can't you? So I'd really? like to say, who's more of a man? The guy with the gun there, ready to fire. Or this guy who can spunk out a gallon a day for his hey, last yeah, lockdown. That's the man, isn't it? He's bright yellow spooge. <laughs> <laughs> He's gun works, my son. <laughs> you don't need to point a fucking handgun at it. Either. <laughs> goes off on its own. And I'll tell you which one more I'll be threatened by. He's going for an awful I'll take some big, you know what I mean? Like the double barrel at my forehead, I don't care. Get that thing away from me. <laughs> nowadays right what we need to do is look at some idiots of the past (laughs) (laughs) idiot special let's get it on so i've got a really great uh headline here uh from uh from the june 18th 1932 we're going back in time again my (laughs) friend (laughs) yeah so how's this for an old newspaper headline i'll 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 put this up this one as well because it's worth having a little look (laughs) i'm about to show benny i'm going to read in it first so here we go Science debunks magic formula. Witch's ancient ritual fails to transform goat into man. <laughs> Beautiful. I want to know all about these. And the, the subheadline is, a second test is planned. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not, not being quite happy with the first one. <laughs> Someone went slightly wrong. Yeah. Like, oh, if you hadn't have been watching you, <laughs> promise you that goat would have changed. So let's delve a little deeper oh, into this nonsense. Yeah. And this is a story from newspapers.com, but it's from the York Dispatch, which was June the 18th, 1932. Saxony in Germany. June the 18th. A scrawny billy goat smeared with blood and honey and the scrapings of a church bell. But still a billy goat. Bore mute evidence here, today, that modern psychic research had won one round against the witches on the Brocken, Germany's magic mountain. At an eerie ceremony in the cold and clammy fogs on top of the mountain last night, the billy goat failed to change into a man. Although modern British and German psychic researchers faithfully carried out the old witch's formula, supposed to achieve that result. Round two takes place tonight, however, in the same setting, made famous in Goethe's Faust and in German witchcraft lore. What happened last night was this. The experimenters, headed by Harry Price, the London psychic expert, trooped up the sides of the Brocken, leading the billy goat and carrying an ancient witch's formula in manuscript brought from the archives of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research in London. With them was Miss Gloria Gordon of England, for the formula called for a maiden pure of heart. Why? (laughs) (laughs) And Miss Gordon said she guessed she was as well qualified as any girl is nowadays (laughs) for the part. Prove it. (laughs) (laughs) Atop the mountain, they anointed the goat with the blood, the honey and the scrapings of church bells. They used the proper pine to light a fire described a circle of the proper size and uttered every one of the Latin incantations stipulated. The goat then was led into the circle by a silver cord. A white sheet was thrown over him. More prescribed abracadabra was intoned. And then, in a weird monotone, expert Price boomed, One! He continued booming until he had reached 
Ten! <laughs> With proper pauses between, while a hundred or so spectators huddled in overcoats looked on in breathless silence, Miss Gordon, the maiden of pure in heart, jerked off the white sheets. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I, I think she meant she just pulled it away. <laughs> Do you want to reach an undergirl? <laughs> I thought I'd pass, I really. You got your reach out. It won't take long. <laughs> this is how I stay pure at heart. <laughs> it doesn't count if it's a goat. <laughs> Makes a lovely smoothie, though. Yeah. Horrid cheese. But, but the story goes on here. But no handsome young man stepped out to greet her. Instead... There stood the same besmeared billy goat, sh- shivering in the cold. Oh, I'm going to, so just on this pause, I'm going to say, right, who knows, is she supposed to be a virgin? Yes. So maybe that's where the spell didn't work. Num- <laughs> number two, you're going to cover a fucking poor little billy goat in honey and church bells scraping. <laughs> you're not going to be jerking off no white sheet in a hurry, are you? Imagine how hard it is to get a white sheet off a goat that's smothered in honey. You'd be, sticky, be, though, <laughs> <wouldn't it? laughs> You'd be dragging that poor goat out of a circle and stuff, <laughs> wouldn't you? Now you're just going to come smoothly off. I know, it's like flipping Tracy Kiss's boyfriend's bed covers, aren't it? <laughs> <laughs> And they go on. The witches had failed, and everybody applauded, for that is what they had set out to prove. As Dr. Eric Bone, a German... <laughs> Eric Coincidence? Coinky dink. <laughs> As Dr. Eric Bone, a German scholar, interested in the experiment, said... Can I have that go? <laughs> <laughs> expectations to summon witches and spirits. <laughs> Nevertheless, there is no reason why these ancient recipes and rituals should be merely cast aside. For it is the business of science to reject nothing so long as the method it employs is a scientific one. <laughs> The scientist will beard the spirits on the spot again tonight. And to say beard, it means like sort of like approach them or sort of like no. tackle them in their own, yeah. own, own domain. But all the debunking in the world won't change the Brocken for its neighbours. When ominous blue black clouds pour over the top and the wind swoops down the valley in a frenzy, uprooting mammoth firs and screeching around the eaves. It's creepy story time in the little timbered houses of the mountain dwellers, and probably always will be. The billy goat was all right this morning, but Gloria Gordon, the maiden pure of heart, was confined to her bed with a severe cold, (laughs) contracted in the raw night wind on the magic mountain. Gloria, a pretty blonde with wavy bobbed hair, broke down unconfessed that she was really Utterbone, daughter of a Breslau attorney. Dad wanted to avoid publicity, she said. <laughs> She's daughter of who? Mr. Bone. Well, Eric, but funny, that's the same one again. Another bone. Second bone down. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> this is really, this is a great it's story. It's all bones. It's like it? a mystery wrapped in some kind of haunting yeah. shit in witchcraft. Several of the spectators at last night's experiment were rubbing sore eyes today. Wonder which ones. From the fumes of the powder flares, which they said was more diabolical than any medieval witch incense. Goats, I have noticed, possess an uncanny ability to get people to make utter fools of themselves. And I think that's a good point. Goats wow. do do that, don't they? You know. I don't know. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> goats never made me. <laughs> well, if that's foolish. <laughs> well, if you think you're going to get the better of a goat. Oh, mate, fuck that. No, you look yeah. at their goat eyes, you just think, no, I'm not messing yeah, about with Yeah, weird sideways creepy yeah. eyes, aren't they? You know what I mean? So, what we got first? We've got a little picture of Harry Price there. I've heard of this dude before. Didn't he go around, like, doing experiments? And, like, he's a, he's a proper, like, ghost hunter or he something? Is. He did 
he did Jeff the Talking Mongoose he investigated, wow. which is one of my favourite stories, and we will be covering on here. Doesn't yeah. matter how much any other podcasts cover it, we're doing Jeff. Uh, yeah, it's got to yeah. be done. And, the uh, Talking Mongoose. <laughs> and the most famous case of his, which was the Bali Rectory Home Centre. Right, I have heard That's of Bali Rectory. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. books and stuff like this on that. It's, it's, it's a big one, it's Bali Rectory. I personally am more of a Jeff fan, you know. Yeah, me? yeah. But I love the fact that Harry Price used to put himself out there all the time. I mean, look, there's another picture of him there. That's cool. Man of mystery, a man of science, but a man of sort of spiritual spiritualism as well. That's it. So, so an 1881-year-old born, who died 29th of March 1948. Wow, yeah. 67. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, we need to do more about him, really. I'll dig a bit deeper sometime. I've got some stories up my sleeve about uh, yeah, the old yeah. Harry Price. But as well, if you want to have a little look at what Harry Price looks like, uh, or any of the pictures we're going to cover today, uh, just get yourself over to Twitter, at Crack and Cove, uh, or Instagram, at Crack and Cove Pod, and we're all there. But if you want to email us as well, you know, we've got an email, and that's at Crack and Cove Podcast at gmail.com. So, get in touch, guys, reach out, reach yeah. out to us. Well, you're funny, we've got a few requests recently. Have we? Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah, we've got a few. We'll, we'll talk about them later, but for now, let's keep concentrating on this. So let's just rewind, though. She confessed. I don't know what she confessed. Did she confess she's a bit of a slapper? Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I missed that bit. Well, I think she was painting herself out as being a maiden pure of heart. Yeah. And she might well have been. I mean, well, you know, we do. But really, what I think they're trying to conjure. Let's have a look at what her original name was there that she claimed she was. Oh, yeah, Gloria. Jennifer or something, wasn't it? But yeah. really little bar. Miss Gloria Gordon of England, she was claiming, but uh, no, she wasn't. She was just a just a sort of daughter of a lawyer, really. Right. I think she'd kind of got involved with a bit of fame and fortune for a bit of fun, you know. Wow, what an experiment <laughs> to hold us. So we, why would a witch want to go into a dude? You know what I mean? Well, I think yeah, I think they must have had like the existing spell book. Haven't they? Ah, got a spell book? Right, so let's do a big spell. Uh, let's do a big spell yeah. because I think if anything, actually, Harry Price is more of a skeptic than anything you else. You did see him a debunker out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so it was interesting. I think he wanted to see. He wanted to believe. He's a little bit like um, Fox Mulder in a way. Yeah, you know I mean? he, yeah. wanted, he wanted to see the things. He did believe in all this stuff. He thought he, the truth were out there. He thought the truth was yeah, out there. He's man. the first guy to really go for it. Yeah. And that's why he's a bit of a hero. And he, he put his money where his mouth is as well. He's a good guy, you know. To go to a journey on Magic Mountains and stuff. Honey, come and go. Honey, come and go. belts on him and stuff. What the fuck? That's it. Maybe it'll work if you got some proper witches, though. You can't be doing all that if you're not a witch. You know what I mean? It ain't going to work. Well, I think it's like anything. It's belief. It's all about, you know, there's no point sort of just sort of going through the motions. I think yeah, what yeah. makes a spell really work yeah, is ever going to work is it's absolute belief. belief. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's, what, that's what imbues the power and energy of what you're doing. And even going back to the first star, you know, when you're getting a, is it placebo? Am I uh, saying pl- it placebo. Right? Placebo, yeah. yeah. So she's thinking that Spunk's doing her wonders, you know what I mean? But really, it's her own mind, isn't it? So we can't you, get away from this gist. <laughs> I can't. I swear to God, the colour. Please check out the colour of that. Um, but he's doing her good, isn't it? You know what I mean? Because of her belief in it. And then you're going, it's like a placebo, placebo, yeah, placebo, yeah, placebo and effect, then yeah. but doing your witchcraft and stuff. You need that from your heart, yeah. and your soul coming through, not just thinking, Absolutely. right, let's go through, like you said, go through the ritual and not have the belief. Well, that's what they say with the, the actual power of prayer. They're thinking it is that's a placebo, but what it's doing is actually either boosting immune systems, it's boosting what's the good those chemicals in you know oh, endorphins endorphin, you get yeah, endorphins yeah. and because you getting so so and as a result it's good for you to do that it's almost like laughter and various other things you've yeah, done through yeah. it. It's, it, it just gives you this weird boost yeah. it's and a it, chance in it like you say it's, it, yeah. yeah and I, I had a good friend of mine went through we had a bit of a drink problem poor chap and he went through the uh, like a program um, I'm not I don't think it was a seven step program I don't think it was Alcoholics Anonymous it was a different thing but while he was stopping drinking, he, he wasn't religious in any way, but he had to pray three times a day. Right, and yeah. he was kind of praying for the strength to go, and it was the ritual that he went through yeah, and everything yeah. like that. And he, he didn't drink, totally, wow. totally managed to quit. Has he got all religious or god bothering? No, he got a bit fat though. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> got into Twixies and Snickers. Yeah, he did, yeah. <laughs> <Can> <laughs> another pudding, mother. He <laughs> <laughs> went down the pudding route. Yeah, 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 play, yeah. Can't a pud sometimes. Yeah, but he's, he's all right now. He's, he's sorted himself out. What a bloody mess he was. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Good lad, but. But it was yeah. a bit, bit of a bit of a mess, mm. uh, and it wasn't doing him any good. 
Um, and now he, you know, he's got that side, but the, perhaps the power, power of, of prayer. The mind, man, the power of the So mind. what we need to do, I think, what we need to do is get a, like a few witches. We need we need a few witches. We need a sticky goat, mm. and we need to get ourselves over Germany and do with this all over again. Oh, a bit of belief on it our side. Big time. I'm up for that. Invite us over Germany. Yeah, we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Well, no, no, <laughs> not like that. <laughs> we'll bring the sticky goat. Come on, <laughs> let's be friends. <laughs> So one thing I need to know about you around Benny Boy is, you know, you've not really been able to go to the dentist or anything like that. You no. sometimes have a little bit of Nasher trouble, don't you? I do, yeah, but I've been fine. I've been really, you know, mouthwash, flossing, doing job a lot. Good, right, well, that's a little it? smile. Yeah. Oh, look at them, lovely, lovely numbers. They're doing all right, they're doing all right. I can, I can report to our gentle listeners that they are lovely shiny teeth. <laughs> My little ivories. <laughs> but the thing is, you see, if the worst did happen with your teeth, is that, you know, you had to have them all taken out, what would you do? Oh man, going to pud puds, <laughs> <laughs> soup diet and pud puds. Yeah, I've oh, got a big pair of fucking ivories in there. I don't know what what you do. could do, you could get yourself a set of Waterloo teeth. What? Oh my god, I've actually <laughs> heard of this. I've never seen out about it. There we go. Oh Christ! Now what I'm just showing um, Benny here, right, is what are known as Waterloo teeth. Now you might be asking yourself, well, what, what the hell's Waterloo teeth? Let's have a little dive in and find oh, out what Waterloo teeth are, right? So this is from the website of Dr. Marjorie Bloy. And it was taken from the New Scientist, right? From 2001 is this story. So it's a bit of an older one. Yeah. But obviously it's not as old as these teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so the night of 18th of June, 1815 was one to remember. After 23 years of war in Europe, Napoleon faced the combined might of England, Holland and Prussia at Waterloo. By 10pm, the battle was over. The French were defeated, and 50,000 men lay dead or wounded on the battlefield. The casualties were high, but for one group of people, that was reason to celebrate. They were the dentists, who were about to benefit from the great tooth bonanza. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> what a sad... You knew you were about hell on earth, you know, that yeah. imagery. Oh. Yeah. So in the early part of the 19th century, patients with plenty of money, but very few teeth, were prepared to pay enormous sums for a good set of dentures. And the best were made with real human teeth at the front. Most of the time, demand for second-hand incisors far outstripped supply. But wars helped make up the shortfall. The windfall from Waterloo provided enough to ship supplies all around Europe and even across the Atlantic. Well, what's your thoughts on that? Oh, fuck it. All I'm thinking of, like, could you just skip back? What time did the battle start? It, well, it didn't start. It started on the morning. Yeah. Uh, more than more than it'd been the first light of 18th of June. Yeah. So let's like, call it like five, six o'clock, something like that, and they're like four. Yeah. You know, that devastated. Fifty thousand people died in five hours. Did it by yeah. sound that you know around well, that? And the thing is, well, what we have to remember as well is we're not talking about. Um, you know, there's no machine gun fight. It's muskets. It's one shot. Yeah, reload. Reload. Odd bit of cannon fire. Yeah. Just, you know, it's, it's probably a fair bit of cannon fire. Yeah. In there, you know? It's not going to be like you know like twenty thousand. It's going to be old school. This this will be an awful lot of cavalry charges. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, there will be there will be like a howitzers sort of thing. There will be cannon, yeah. all that sort. Of, but the majority of the battle will be down to um, spears. In what they call like like big lances, kind of yeah, lances, lances, that yeah. sort of thing. There'll Bayonet. be cavalry charges. Yeah. There'll be infantrymen charging. Um, there will be will be sort of um, there will be some sort of uh, handheld. <sighs> Detonations, bombs of sort. Yeah. You know, everything's very crude and pretty damn grim. But it's just it, that com just that much death in that many hours. The noise, the apocalypse of it, that absolute slaughter. Yeah. And then people against each other. 
but them little knobheads on the side, those little goons oh. watching it, skipping <laughs> around. Exactly. <laughs> he pushes them, that, having no involvement in it, thinking, ooh, look at her. Ooh, he's down. That's, I'll have his chompers, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, look at his ivories. I'll be having them. And then, you know, them scuttling on like disgusting crabs after battle, just like with pliers and, yeah. oh, you lucky little fuckers. Well, it's funny you should say that because it goes on. Waterloo was a well-timed battle. By the end of the fighting, night was closing in, and the battlefield scavengers could go about their work unseen. In the gloom, shadowy figures flitted from corpse to corpse, gathering up the soldiers' weapons and winkling out any valuables tucked inside their torn and bloodied uniforms. Then came the final act of desecration. With expertise many a dental surgeon might envy, they deftly pulled and pocketed any intact front teeth. <laughs> Taking teeth from the dead to replace those lost by the living was nothing new. But this time the scale of it was different. The flood of teeth onto the market was so huge that dentures made from second-hand teeth acquired a new name. Waterloo teeth. Far from putting clients off, this was a positive selling point. Better to have teeth from a relatively fit and healthy young man killed by a cannonball or a saber than incisors plucked from the jaws of a disease-ridden corpse, decaying in the grave, or from a hanged man left dangling too long on the gibbet. Wow, we live in shelter times, my friend. What? Imagine them all, the scale of it, that... Oh, oh, it's just the worst. Yeah, I, can't, I can't comprehend it, you know what I mean? And the bags, of the, you know, like the, the tooth sacks that some of them have been oh, carrying up. Just, that's it, they will have had tooth sacks. Oh. Imagine the smell of that tooth sack. Oh, God, for a couple of days. And just that bit, you see, and someone's died in real violent, and their eyes are all over the mouth. And, and they're, they're driving just... around with a set of pliers oh, in it. You can't have good luck that the money the thing, you know what yeah. I mean money spent from that you know, how do you money. sleep <laughs> all drunk and rum what they like what oh, does their yeah. LinkedIn profile look like <laughs> <laughs> the CV oh it says here Mr Stevenson that you're the battlefield scavenger um, you're very adept at uh, pulling teeth and stealing from the dead um, and being a fucking ghoul yeah. congratulations you're now a lawyer <laughs> yeah politics for you my son <laughs> fucking hell now set to work having a go at the NHS yeah. <laughs> so much damage you can do in a short time yeah, poor teeth of that oh, oh. awful people mm. awful you know but I suppose hunger must drive people to do that sort yeah, of thing yeah, you know sure, we know so in the late 18th and early 19th century, people dreaded losing their teeth. The toothless had sunken cheeks and looked old before their time. Without teeth, it was hard to speak intelligibly. In the upper ranks of society, the toothless tended to keep their mouths shut rather than reveal their naked gums. For those who could afford it, the answer was a set of false teeth, but dentures rarely fitted. They looked nothing like the real thing, and in most cases were not secure enough to risk eating with. <laughs> so some sets of teeth were carved from a single piece of ivory or bone. Oh, fuck. In the... <laughs> Can like you imagine, man? Is that what about Mary? You know, he reveals he's been <laughs> nauseous. <Yeah. and> then... <laughs> what are you trying to see there, choppers? <laughs> in the most sophisticated designs, artificial teeth were riveted to a plate made from ox bone or hippo ivory. <laughs> Fuck me. Why hippo? I mean, just think what people's mouths look like oh, back then. God, that's like a horror like... show, isn't it? Getting a smile, you'd be dreading it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, some girl, oh, she, she's quite nice. And she grins it, she's got a golf full of dead men's teeth and hippo ivory. <laughs> All jutting out and that. Oh, fucking like predator. <laughs> I will be the one. It's just, it's just absolutely wow. nightmarish. You oh, know? oh, what a mucky age! Jesus oh. Christ. I mean, that's the thing. We we do take it for granted, don't we? And do we? What I don't like is 
Americans take piss out of our teeth, yeah, British, yeah, don't yeah. they? Yeah. They do half have a pop at our teeth all the time. <laughs> and I have to say, I've got very crooked teeth, I really have. You know what I mean? It's my, I've got teeth that look like... Unique, I say. <laughs> yeah, well, I say, you know my bite mark, if it was something like, like a manhunter or something, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, I'd, I'd stick out like a sore thumb, but... You know, I keep them clean. But yeah, it's exactly. like people's teeth. You might have a bit, a bit of character, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, Because I don't like the big white pearlies. Yeah, yeah, those ones. Was it, there's a couple other celebrities that have done it, and just, you can't take them seriously. Jimmy Carr. Like, Fucking hell, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. He looks ridiculous, yeah, you know does, what I mean? Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. A good comic. Yeah. But yeah. bloody hell, I'm saying. He's a mile away. He's just vanity and ill use, isn't he? Yeah. You know what I mean? He's no, I mean I think we, what we need we need to find a happy medium. Don't we? we need to, we need to find that balance between uh, dead men and hippo ivory and Jimmy Carr. <laughs> <laughs> we need a sliding scale, don't we? He's got a toothbrush and a little bit of time. Yeah, really, that's really, it. Really. And it, let's face it though, it makes your teeth seem amazing. I'm gonna say I feel really confident. When we want to lose, though, just out of interest. Right, 1815. It's not that long ago, is it? It fucking on, is. <laughs> oh, 105 years. 205 years. Eight, oh, shit, yeah. There, yeah, there goes my education. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, Basic maths. But no, you know, it is, I, mean, I suppose relatively speaking, it won't. But then you also have to look at what the hell were going on in the world that te- people's teeth all suddenly fell out? Yeah, it's all booze. It happened in Jesus' day. It's hard to say, really. I don't. I'm not too sure. I think. So. I think a lot of it's to do with like lifespans. I mean, people. You know, you, you're middle aged when you're like 18, weren't you? Yeah, in some areas. Yeah. But then I also think there was like sugars were being brought into certain diets, yeah. or more refined sugars. More booze, you know, booze out there. Boo- booze might have been it as well. That's pretty bad for the old noshers. Mm. So I think it could be down a diet and living a little bit older. And then tell you what it was, city living and all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming from your like your your farm urban kind of stuff and your dirty squalid yeah. cities and stuff. So what you need to do to have really good teeth is to live in a field and eat a turnip and never go to the city. Yeah. Uh, and you'd be fine, I'd say. You know. <laughs> Apart from the only thing is that you get round up to actually be a soldier at Waterloo. <laughs> yeah. But then that's that's when the that's when suddenly that little farm boy is found dead in the old field and the little scavenger comes up and peels his lips back. Oh. And finds a lovely set of turnip munchers. Oh, got like a crab. <laughs> Pull them out. Oh, in his little bag. On the battlefield, you know, you need you need the right sort of leadership, don't you? Yeah, definitely. You know, and yeah. this is what, what a lot of these great massacres and things sort of like go horribly wrong because they haven't got the right leadership. I mean, you can't say that about Waterloo mm-hmm. because Waterloo had some of the finest military minds yeah, at the go of the time, and they just really pitted the wits against each other. A massive chess game, wasn't it? Like with masters oh, at the helm. They yeah. were, yeah, that's it. You know, but you see, if you can't get that kind of sort of backup, yeah. what you need, you need the strength and fortitude of a soldier. Like Sergeant Stubby. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I've never heard of him. Yeah. Old Stubby. So I'm going to show you a quick picture here of the good old stalwart that is Sergeant Stubby. Hey, yo. Look at this fine fella. Look at oh, this. Oh, what a cutie. And this is Sergeant Stubby. <laughs> he's adorable. A, he's a dog. <laughs> he's just a dog. That's one of the cutest dogs I've ever seen. Look at all his little medals on his little jacket. Are they medals? I'll tell his little pockets and stuff. So the picture, oh. med- the picture we've got in now is he's a good old indomitable Sergeant Stubby. And he's in his little uniform they've made for him. And he's got Stubby written on it. And he's got his little oh. sergeant stripes. And he's got a whole row of medals down one side. So a little let's... sergeant. Yeah, Sergeant Stubby. So, Sergeant Stubby, 1916 till March the 16th, 1926 is when he was alive. Old Stubby. Wow. He was a dog and official mascot of the 102nd Infantry Regiment in the United States. And he was assigned to the 26th Yankee Division in World War I. He served for 18 months and participated in 17 battles on the Western Front. <laughs> wow, little doggy. He saved his regiment from surprise mustard gas attacks, found and comforted the wounded, 
and allegedly once caught a German soldier by the seat of his pants, holding him there until an American soldier found him. His actions were well documented in contemporary American newspapers. Stubby has been called the most decorated war dog of World War I and the only dog to be nominated for rank and then promoted to sergeant through combat. Stubby's remains are in the Smithsonian Institute. Bless his little paws. So Stubby was described in contemporaneous news items as a Boston Terrier or an American Bull Terrier mutt. Describing him as a dog of uncertain breed, Anne Bowsum wrote, The brindle patent pup probably owed at least some of his parentage to the evolving family of Boston Terriers, a breed so new that even its name was in flux. They were called Boston Roundheads, American and Boston Bull Terriers. Stubby was found wandering the grounds of Yale University campus in New Haven, Connecticut in July 1917. While members of the 102nd Infantry were training, he hung around as the men drilled, and one soldier in particular, Corporal James Robert Conroy, developed a fondness for him. When it came time for the outfit to ship, and Conroy hid Stubby on board the troop ship, and as they were getting off the ship in France, he hid Stubby under his overcoat without detection. Upon discovery by Conroy's commanding officer, Stubby saluted him oh, as he had been trained to do in camp and the commanding officer allowed the dog to stay on board. <laughs> give him a little salute. Captain. Oh, oh, give him a salute. <laughs> oh, tell me more. This is yeah. Cuties. So this is his military service, right? Stubby served with the 102nd Infantry Regiment in the trenches in France for eight months and participated in four offensives and 17 battles. He entered combat on February the 5th, 1918 at Chemin de Dames, north of Soissons, and was under constant fire day and night for over a month. In April 1918, during a raid to take Seychellerie, Stubby was wounded in the foreleg by retreating Germans throwing hand grenades. He was sent to the rear for convalescence, and as he had done at the front, he improved morale amongst the other injured men. But when he recovered from his wounds, Stubby returned to the trenches, and he ultimately had two wound stripes, which were um, two decorations to show that you've been in combat. Uh, yeah, yeah, like moment, yeah. that type of thing, in his first year of battle, Stubby was injured by mustard gas. Oh. After he recovered, he returned with a specially designed gas mask to protect him. <laughs> Thus learning to warn his unit of poison gas attacks. He's had it once in his life. He knew it, I could sniff that. Yeah, dog's nose is good. Yeah. And he knew how to locate wounded soldiers in no man's land. Oh. And since he could hear the whine of incoming artillery shells before humans, he became very adept at alerting his unit when to duck for cover. Oh, this is super dog. He's solely responsible for capturing a German spy in the Argonne, leading to their unit's commander nominating Stubby for the rank of sergeant. Oh man, smells all like sauerkraut and sausages yeah, down his it. Yeah, that's Got it. your bosh. I can smell his Wienerschnitzel. <laughs> Get him, boys. <laughs> Following the retaking of Chateau Thierry by the US, women of the town made Stubby a chamois coat upon which his many medals were pinned. So he's got a little leather jacket. A little chamois coat. Game on, Wienerschnitzel. He was later injured again in the chest and leg by grenade but at the end of the war Robert Conroy once again smuggled Stubby home so after returning home Stubby became a celebrity and had marched in and normally led many parades across the country he met presidents Woodrow Wilson Calvin Coolidge and Warren G Harding and it also appeared on vaudeville stages owned by Sylvester Z. Polai and was awarded lifetime membership to the American Legion and the YMCA. In 1921, General of the Army's John J. Pershing presented a gold medal from the Humane Education Society to Stubby, the subject of a famous photograph and other artistic media. And that's this one we've got here now. Such that's a good his, photo. It's such a good <laughs> photo, isn't it? Guys. 
During that same year, he attended Georgetown University Law Center along with Conroy and became the Georgetown Hoyers team mascot. Oh, thank God. I think you were going to say a lawyer or something. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> what can't this dog do? <laughs> He'd be given the football at half time and would nudge the ball around the field to the amusement of the fans. <laughs> this is sweet. Yeah. While still a student at Georgetown, Conroy was also employed as a special agent of the Bureau of Investigation. So that's not, that's the guy who saved him, Robert yeah, Conroy, yeah. you know what I mean? So, Doggy's gonna join FBI now. <laughs> yeah, but no. Oh. Because Stubby died in his <gasps> sleep in March 1926. Oh, yeah. Oh. And after his death, he was preserved with his skin mounted on a plaster cast. So gone bloody spiral, poor pooch. Conroy later presented Stubby to the Smithsonian Institute in 1956. Christ, you live a life like Stubby, you've done well, haven't you? That's a pooch. That's a look pooch. at that fine standing young pooch. Oh, you just, I mean, Is he a girl or a boy? I think he's a boy. Stubby's yeah. a boy. Stubby's a boy. You know. Ah, God, he's got balls. I tell you he that. He has, and all he hasn't. He hasn't bloody blown him off in fucking yeah, Germans. Yeah, true, isn't it? Yeah, he could have had a <laughs> mishap with him. Yeah, but he just kept coming back for more. Oh, mate, I tell you what, would be good though, like some like proper hardcore grindhouse film. You know, from his perspective. You know what well. I mean? Oh no! Please, <laughs> it's real. Please. There is rumour. Of a Stubby the movie coming out. Oh man, honestly, I want it proper gory and evil, you know what I mean? But this little troopy dog cuteness in it, you yeah. know. Like, <laughs> Make it really blood, bloodthirsty. Oh, Especially even like, you know, like dog cab at one yeah, point yeah. in that. Well, that's that like 1917 film as yeah. well, but just yeah. at dog height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that contrast of his little cutie face and them horrors of World War One. Just running through, running through World War Two and everything. I'm at World War One and you see all this stuff, and the next thing you know, you see yourself up on a little stubby girl's back and <laughs> right away. Go on, stubby. <laughs> the spoils of war, stubby. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's getting late here at Kraken Cove, you know, and I've got to do a few jobs here. I've got all these tins and cans and stuff away like that. Well, I think I think Ben might have a little cheeky packet of Monster Munch because he's such a good boy. I'll give you an hand, come on. <laughs> yeah, like but I think we've got one more sort of like one more thing just nice. to be going on with, you yeah. see. And uh, it, it runs on a little bit from last week, I think. But, you know, in it, I wanted to talk about what the largest living thing is. Mmm, tricky is this because he's straight it to is. blue whale and I love blue whales. But oh, I've heard bits and pieces of this before. Like some weird, like, ain't like some algae. Oh no, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, they still have a, like, well, the lad- a fauna or something. Go on, put me out of misery. Well, the largest living thing is Pando. A panda? Panda, no. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I want a massive panda King now. Kong Panda. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Pando. Pando. And Pando is a tree. But what it is, the weird thing about this, it's not like a, like a giant, like one of these big giant redwoods. Oh, that's right, what I'm right, thinking of. Yeah, that's yeah, what you're thinking of. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to show you a little picture of this, right? And then I'm going to give a quick description, right? So Pando is an aspen grove at Fish Lake National Forest. Pando, which is Latin for ice spread out, is also known as this trembling giant, and it's a clonal colony of an individual male quaking aspen, determined to be a single living organism with identical genetic markers. And it's just one huge giant root system that runs out and all those trees are the same tree. Oh, that's just a... F- it looks Wait, like it's a forest. A forest. What the but freak? there's no other trees in it apart from the trembling aspen. And trembling all the, the trembling aspen, which I think is a stunning oh, tree. Yeah. What do you call it? A shivering summer earlier? Um, oh, I don't think I did. 
a quaking aspen. Sorry, it's uh, a quaking aspen. Yeah, you're right. right yeah, yeah. Beginning, there was something right at the beginning. Yeah. Like also known as the Trembling Giant. That's it. That might be a Trembling wow, Giant. the Trembling Giant. Yeah. And while these are big trees, basically they look like a, look like a silver birch. Yeah, they, yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's what they're very much similar to looking at. Although, you know, very and, thin, aren't they? Yeah, with a white, yeah. lovely silver white bark on them. But all these trees are identical, genetically identical. They all come from a root system. They're not come from a seed. They're nothing like this. And it's a forest. It's an entire forest made up of the same tree, just self-replicated over and over and over again. So is it like a bush underneath? Is it like a, the roots are like a bush? They're just, the roots wood? just intertwine and connect uh, uh, and they just pop a push-up shoots here and there. But would you follow it and it all connects? So there's no, you know, you've not got one that's just got on its own. No, all... no, 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 they're all connected. Yeah, they're all yeah, connected. Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely, it's like a, it's, imagine like almost like a, a network. Yeah. It's like a network of, wow, of, of things like this. That... Has it, has it got a family? You know, is it from a family of different trees? You know, trees similar to it? Is it just something completely on its own? Well, I think it is of the same species. I think you probably go around other places and find other um, networks, if you like, or yeah. colonies, maybe, of or clonal colonies of these particular trees. Uh, but this is how they this is how they survive and how they live but this is just happens to be the biggest one and, and they've only recently realised <laughs> you know and it's weight they've estimated the, to weigh collectively of 6 million kilograms right oh so which is 6,600 tons <laughs> and it making it the heaviest known organism and the root system of Pando is 80,000 years old oh my so, god 80,000 yeah which is absolutely, I think it's absolutely amazing. Oh, that's mind-blowing, I love it. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is as well, because of its interconnectivity as well as a forest, there's theories that what can happen is, say, for example, you went into the forest and you were to do something to one tree, yeah. the rest of the forest will know about it. Yeah. It speaks like this. Yeah. Now, a lot of other forests, what they do is they actually depend on mycelium to right. do this. What's which that? is do you know the little white threads you get out of fungi? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well they are the it's re, well fairly recently been discovered that this is essential to tree communication as well. So these little fibres connect to the tree roots and they're vital to it. They feed it or the you know they, yeah, they help yeah. to feed nutrients and stuff. But they the, it's a symbiotic relationship between yeah. fungus and tree. But what they also found that they do is if something is happening at one area and this mycelium is, is there it will send signals across and inform the tree. Wow. But this particular colony, because it's all one plant and one species, it, it is Pando. Yeah. It can, it can inform it, yeah. So, so who knows what intelligence it has? Who knows what abilities it has, actually, as a, as a, as a huge organism? Is it just one big growing lump oh, of vegetable? Yeah. Or is he like totally self-aware and he's just like like Solaris yeah. or some of oceans or something? We do not know. We know nothing of this. We know that they, they react in particular ways. But something that's lived to be 80,000 years old, I don't think it's going to be a dummy, is it? No, I don't. We, we really underestimate trees. I love that yeah. Tolkien did the old, uh, is it the Ents? And they're just being asleep and we're all just fast moving and weird for them, you know what I mean? Yeah. We don't give enough respect for trees. We just saw them down like weird orcs. Don't we? Yeah, this is it. So I'm, 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 as I said last week, you know, I'm fascinated by trees. I, yeah. just, I just think they're so, and they're all around us, and we just take them for granted because we chop them up the wood and do this sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, one thing they wanted to do across Yorkshire, obviously, is they wanted to create like a network of forests, all from coast to coast, oh, all nice. the way across. Yeah, yeah they, they should do, that. do though, just for animal species and well, stuff. Well, that's what it'd be, be like nature corridors yeah, and stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but one thing they are worried about is if they actually just pay, like, companies or people to plant these trees. Mm. They're worried that people just take the piss and sort of like, say, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to plant a load of trees for you, and then just to put in tons of sterile pine groves, mm. and which are going to be a crop, because what we need, we need a bit diversity, we need rowan trees, we yeah, need silver yeah, birch, yeah. we need the ash, we need the oak. Exactly, all proper stuff, yeah. soup of it all, all yeah, mashed we, together, don't we? We yeah. need plenty, we need like holly and the undergrowth and things, you know. Because I'm not sure what life would live in Pando. I don't know what it can support or whether it's being a, um, a just a single organism. I wonder if it's a bit limited for anything living in it. Yeah, there's one really strong thing that lives in there and it kind of doms everything. It's like, hey, it's fascinating. Oh, what could yeah. it be? I bet like, your insect life is going to be 
high, isn't it? And maybe birds. Well, I think it's because as well, it's, it's a forest within a forest, isn't it? You know, yeah. you get towards the edges of Pando and you get out into the different sort of like the different wildernesses and things. But um, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we need Pando living coast oh, to coast in the UK. Oh, yeah. I'm going back to Kyle, going back to Wuthering Sunset. It's so influential on bits, but you know, they could have got to that haunted uh, woods. Mirkwood. Yeah. No, I don't think, I think it would be far Mirkwood. I think maybe when they found Tom Bombadil in that kind of, that was like a weird magical wood. Oh, right next to Hobbiton, actually, when they first got there, they kind of went in and they, they were shiting themselves going across into the first woods and Lord of Rings. That was Mirkwood. Were it? Yeah. Christ, I can't remember it being yeah. Mirkwood. Let's have a quick look at Mirkwood. So let's have a quick look here now, actually. It wasn't it wasn't Mirkwood. You, you were right all along. It's, it was called the Old Forest. I'm sure it's that part of it, because there's Tom kicking about yeah. one and all the rest of it. Yeah. But I might be wrong, but I bet there's some experts out there that are screaming at us now. Well, enough, it was, it was bordered back to the east by the Barrow Downs. Now, that's something, actually, I wanted to cover in a later one, you see, because I found some barrows up in East Yorkshire. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Rob, took me to these uh, barrows, and we took a few photographs. And uh, when we do our little... Because uh, it's, it's very close to the Wall Newton Triangle in these particular mm, barrows. Uh, little out, yeah. you know, saying that back to normal. It will do, don't worry, we'll, be, yeah. we'll, we'll get to it soon enough. So what we'll do is we'll check out these barrows, which were ancient burial mounds, we'll, we'll do yeah. that one time. But no, you see, so I think different forests, different times, so we've got we've got Pando, which is a very real forest there, you know, and I think hopefully we're going to get our own forest from sort of Yorkshire, coast to coast. Oh, Yorkshire, that'd be so yeah. nice, wouldn't it? For just for North Sea to the Irish Sea. Wow. That'd be amazing, we could look at loads of things, because you can't beat a forest, can yeah, you? That's yeah. the thing. Just, we need to look at... We, Messed up the world so much, yeah. we need to give a little bit back out. <laughs> well, I think one of the things we can do for that is like do a bit of recycling as well. We've got to be careful, yeah. that's always the thing. So, what we need to do is get all these boxes in recycling, don't we? Yeah. We need to get our stuff put away, that's what we need to do now. So, oh, what, yeah, 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 get do a bit of packing, get a bit of sorting out, and uh, you can have a little bit of monster munch for me, mm, right? Good boy, lovely pickled onion. And I think I might just open one of these bottles of wine. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Easy going downstairs with an empty as well. <laughs> so all that's left for us to do now is uh, say thanks very much for tuning in. You, we've been getting a fee- bit of feedback now, and you know the, the the crowds are growing, the listeners are coming on a bit now, so that's really nice. So do spread the word to your friends if you enjoy it. Uh, and I'm just going to say goodbye from me and goodbye from Benny. Tell him, mate. Tell him, mate, about us. <laughs> Take care, guys. <laughs> See you, guys. Bye. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com On Twitter at Kraken Cove Or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!